Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. I want to talk to you. I told you this morning, I want you to come back tonight. We're doing something on Sunday night where I'm just giving you some very practical things, some things that I do personally to help keep me focused on the Lord. And it's always, when you're talking about practical things, things that work, it's always fundamental stuff. It's always basic stuff. I grew up playing baseball, and immature kids playing baseball, kids that don't really love the sport of baseball, they just want to hit. They always want to have a bat in their hand, and they just want to hit. But baseball players, whether you're starting from Little League or going all the way up to the major leagues, they do the same things constantly over and over and over again. They throw the ball and they catch the ball. And they start off throwing the ball close. They call it soft toss. And then they back up and they throw it further away. And if you watch grown men, major leaguers, just tossing the ball from me to Lauren like that, you would think, well, they can throw further than that. And absolutely they can. But it is all about doing things the right way every time. People think that practice is what makes perfect. But practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. You can do something a lot, do it wrong every time, and you can practice it, and if you're doing it wrong, you're still doing it wrong. So practice doesn't make perfect. Doing things right consistently is what will bring about change in your life. So I want us to look at two verses of Scripture tonight, and I'm going to talk about some principles that I want to share with you, but two verses of Scripture that are very familiar passage for us because I talk about them a lot, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Listen to what the Word says. Verse 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I'm going to talk to you tonight again about prayer. Pray with me. God, thank you for allowing us to be in your house. Thank you for allowing us this time to come together in your name. We love you. We honor you, God. And I pray that tonight you would speak to our hearts, encourage us, teach us, guide us, and empower us is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Talk to you guys a lot about prayer. And I'm going to continue to talk to you guys a lot about prayer because I know people don't pray enough. And we need to pray more. We have so many things as people that we want to see happen. If you could really just spill out all of your hope list tonight, it would be a lot. If you could talk to us about every single person you wanted to see get better, every single situation get changed, every single need that you have, you could talk for a really long time. But when we go to God in prayer, most people don't talk to God for a very long time. They feel like they run out of things to say in very quick fashion. Put verse 6 back up on the screen for me it says don't worry about anything semicolon Paul's on the punctuation don't worry about anything you got to slow the word down take it in phrases bite-sized pieces where you can digest it 
this is a direct command. God is speaking to his children, telling us not to worry about anything. Instead, see, there, there's an alternative, pray about everything. So what should we pray about? Everything. everything. We got to pray about, that's a lot. That is time consuming. That means you're going to have to designate time to do this. So many people talk about time management, but I'm of the theory you can't manage time. You can only manage tasks. You can't manage time. Time manages itself. And no matter what you do with time, you won't change time. We all have the same amount of time from the ditch digger to the president. We all have 24 hours in a day. You can't change it. You can't make it longer. You can't make it shorter. But what you can do, you can learn how to manage your tasks inside that day so that you get the most production out of your day. And if we'd be honest, most of us aren't as productive for the Lord as we know we should be. And one of the ways to be productive for the Lord is to walk in obedience to his command to pray about everything. We've looked at this formula before. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. That's a great formula for prayer. If you really sat down and told God what you need, that would take you a while. Then if you thank him for all he has done, that'll take you till you don't have any time left. So what we need to learn how to do is set an appointment with God. We need to learn how to set this time of daily devotion. We need to learn how to set this time with God, set it aside, go somewhere, get alone, know that you've got a specific amount of time that you have portioned out of your day to give to the Lord in prayer. You need to have a place of prayer. Jesus called it a prayer closet. It doesn't have to be a closet, but it's got to be a designated place. It's got to be a specific place. It's got to be a recurring place. It's got to be a place that you go to on the regular basis where you really get along with God and talk to God. It's got to be away from noise. It's got to be away from people. When you study the Lord and his, pray, his praying time, he would go out, out, depart from them, and go to a solitary place. So you need it to be a place where you can be alone. A lot of people make the mistake of having their biggest prayer time be their drive time. Now, I don't, I don't think it's wrong to talk to God while you're driving, but that's, that's distracted prayer. If somebody pull out in front of you, you know what I'm talking about. And it, it's, it's also convenient prayer. And I don't think that we should offer God what's convenient. We should offer God what's, what's our best. And so I want you to learn how to have this quiet time, this designated time, this appointment daily with God. Tell him what you need. Thank him for what he's done. Look at what verse 7 says. Then. When is then? Then is always after. After what? After you've done what verse 6 says, then you can have what verse 7 promises. Too many people want to get to the promises of God without doing the requirements of God. And most of God's promises are conditional promises. If you do this, then God will do that. Then you will experience God's peace, comma. You got to pause on that. Reflect on that. That's enough right there. Then you will experience God's peace. We're the most frustrated group of people on the planet. We are, we are the most spoiled, enriched group of people in the history of the world, yet we're more frustrated than any other generation has ever been. We have more, we know more, we possess more, but we have less peace because we won't do verse 6 because people used to do verse 6. People used to have a sweet hour of prayer. People used to go to the church and spend time in prayer. Let me say this to you. It's not wrong 
to come to church early and pray. You can come to church early. If it's not unlocked, you can sit in your car and pray. But we don't have peace. And I want you to know the promise of God is that if you will do verse 6, if you will stop your worrying, if you will start praying about everything, tell God what you need, thank Him for what He's done, then you are going to experience God's peace. There's a lot of difference between experiencing something and knowing about something. You can experience something. That's something that actually happens to you that that you feel. You can know about something and it just be in your head. That's why sometimes you hear me say, I'm I'm not telling you what I heard. I'm telling you what, what I know, what I've been through, where I've been. And God wants you to experience his peace. Very few people are experiencing the peace of God in their life on a regular basis because they won't do what God has called them to do. They won't spend enough time in prayer. It goes on to say, not only will you experience God's peace in verse 7, it says, but that peace exceeds anything we can understand. In, in, one, in one version, in the King James Version, it says, it's a peace that passeth all understanding. It's a peace beyond human reasoning. It's a peace that non-saved people just cannot possess. It's a peace that people that don't know Christ won't understand Why? Because God can give you peace in your worst trial. God can give you peace when you should be falling apart. God can give you peace when life doesn't make any sense, but not without prayer. If you have peace in the middle of your storm and you're not a praying person, you are just um, a, a calm person by nature. But if you want to move beyond the natural, like we talked about this morning, and into the supernatural then you're going to have to pray so you can have God's peace. God's peace is a supernatural peace. God's peace is a peace beyond human logic. It exceeds anything we can understand. And it goes on to say in the end of verse 7, His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. We need God to keep our heads together. We need God to keep our hearts together. We need God to keep our mind together, and the way that this happens is by getting peace, and the way you get peace is through praying. So I'm going to talk to you tonight about how to pray more and some, some tools I use to help me in my prayer life. If you go to business college, if you go to any uh, motivational meeting, if you go to leadership meetings, you'll hear people talking about the necessity to have goals in your life they do these studies of college students all the time and they find out how few of them have goals and you know if you one one person said that if you aim for nothing in life you'll always hit it that's the only thing you're guaranteed to hit every time if you're aiming for nothing just what you're going to get we got to learn how to have goals in our life you need to set goals so I looked up the word goal. I think we got it on the screen. The dictionary says a goal is a desired result that a person or a system envisions, plans, and commits to achieve. A personal or organizational desired endpoint in some sort of assumed development. You should assume that you are developing. The Bible says God wants to grow you. He wants you to mature. He wants you to transition from one level of glory to the next level of glory, growing in maturity, being shaped and fashioned and formed and conformed into the image 
of God's Son. So there ought to be an assumed development. You ought to be believing in your mind that this time next year, you'll be a better praying person than you are right now. That this time next year, you'll be giving more money. That you'll be spending more time with God. You'll have more peace in your life. That you'll have more answered prayer in your life. There should be an assumed development of your spirituality. But it says it's a result that a person or a system envisions, plans, and commits to achieve. So you got to see it. You got to believe it. You got to work for it so you can get to it. Now, our church has a goal. And it's wrapped up in our church's vision statement, which is to transform our world by the power of God's love. This is what we want to do. If somebody says, well, what are y'all trying to do out there on Georgetown? We want to transform our world by the power of God's love. You need that in your life. You need that for your family. You, you need to be the representative of God on your job, in your school. You should have it in your mind. I want everybody that knows me to be transformed, which is changed for the better, to move from one state to another state, to transition for the better, transform our world by the power of God's love. Some of you have people in your life that aren't saved. Some of you have people, well, we all have people in our life that aren't saved. Some of you have people living in your home that aren't saved, and you really want to see them saved. I've told you this before. I want to remind you again. You will not, say, you will not see people get saved by nagging them. Amen. You will not see people become friendly to the gospel by Bible beating them or berating them or criticizing them or condemning them. People respond to love. Love is the most powerful force in the world. People respond to what they perceive as love, and we need to learn that it is the power of God's love that creates change. That's why Jesus said that the world would know that we follow him when they see us loving each other. Love needs to be on display. Your love for God needs to be on display, and your love for people need to be on display. So that's our church in a broad look. Goal, big goal, transform our world by the power of God's love. Our world consists of this community, this city, this state, this country, this world. Our world consists of our individual families, our corporate families. It's a lot to talk to God about. But in this thought process of growing spiritually, of having goals, or, or maybe even on a different level. I've told you we exist on different levels, physical, financial, emotional, spiritual, and relational. These are the five levels of life that you live on. And you might have some physical goals. You might have some spiritual goals, some emotional goals, some relational goals, some financial goals. But you might not have ever written any goals down. You might not have ever put any thought into having goals. Most people will put some thought into that right before January 1st. And they will forget about it right after January 2nd. But those New Year's resolutions are not goals. They're foolishness. They're, they're never designed to stick. That's why you do it over again every January the 1st. I've told you all before, and if you've ever been in a gym, you realize that hardcore gym people, which obviously I am not, hardcore gym people hate the month of January because they can't get on their machine. They can't get in the gym because a bunch of fat people join the gym. And, you know, dedicate that they are going to get it together in the brand new year. And by January 4th, 
that starts to slow down, and by January 31st, that's all over, and then, you know, the gym people can get back to being the gym people in February, and the couch people can get back on the couch, all right? Now, I'll say this about the couch. I know people, I have good friends that go to the gym all the time, and they get hurt in the gym. I never got hurt laying on the couch. That's just a, just a promo for you right there. Go to the gym, pull a hamstring, stretch your groin out if you want to. I've never injured myself laying on the couch. Just a good thing to think about. Goals. I don't want you to wait until January 1st to think about a New Year's resolution, which is close, close to having close to being what a goal is but a goal is a desired result that that you can envision it's a desired result that you're willing to plan for and commit to achieve does anybody have any goals that that you de- you have a goal in your life to see something happen um that that you'd be willing to share with us anybody not one goal in the whole building see if you're aiming nothing you're gonna hit nothing Stacy. You have a goal for a family? Oh, amen. 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 We should all have a list of people that we desire to see saved. We all should be praying for our family members to be saved. Here's one of the things that I've seen (laughs) I see it more in moms than I see it in dads. I think, uh, you know, men are a little bit more rational than women, no matter who you ask. We all know that's true. There are exceptions. There are some men that are just, you know, more ladylike than men-like, and there are some women that are more men-like than ladylike, okay? It's supposed to be a left-brain, right-brain thing. It's supposed to be a fact-and-feeling-based thing, but sometimes people get their wires crossed, but... Because God wired women up to be emotional, because God wired women up to be uh, the barometer of feeling, um, I've seen moms that love their children beyond all reason. I've seen a mother's love for her children just exceed all logic. And in many ways, outside of God, I don't think there's anything stronger than a mother's love. Even nature tells us that. If you, you don't want to mess. I've never heard anybody say, you don't want to mess with that bear that daddy might be around. The mama might be around. Now you got trouble, okay? So you got to watch out. Mama bear cares. Well, here's the thing, mama bear. As you pray for your children to be saved, don't over-convince yourself of your child's salvation. I've seen this mistake be made so many times. I know parents who are praying for their children to stop backsliding when their children had never front slid. I know parents who are praying for their children so desperately to get their heart right and come back to the Lord when they never came to God in the first place. And I know parents that are praying that their child will rededicate their life to God. Well, the problem with these people that rededicate all the time to God is if you're just rededicating what you had and what you had was insufficient, you still have insufficient. We got to be willing to believe that this person's not saved yet. I had, now in this case, this was a man. I had a man, he was coming to our church, his daughter was coming to our church, 
Uh, he had been a senior pastor and gotten out of the ministry. His daughter was raised up in ministry, and she'd been in ministry her whole life. She came to me one day and said, I've, I've been serving God my whole life, and I don't believe I've ever truly been saved. I said, well, let's talk about it. As we're talking about it, her dad walks in my office. What's going on? Hugs his daughter. She said, I'm talking to pastor about being getting saved. And he said, getting saved? You've been saved your whole life. You've been doing ministry with me all year since you were born. And it spoke volumes about his lack of understanding about salvation. And it also spoke volumes about his lack of willingness to believe his child's spiritual condition. You need to believe for your child's salvation. And he spent as much time as it took to talk her out of giving her life to Christ that day in my office. If he wouldn't, if he wouldn't have came in there, she was ready to pray and ask God to save her, but then she'd have had to go tell her dad that, and he had told her the same thing. You've been saved. Please don't ever try to talk somebody out of their salvation experience. I know people who, who've prayed to receive Christ to go home and talk to their church friends, their church family, to be told, oh, you're saved. You got, you've been saved. Oh, I know you, you. I know you love the Lord. You've been saved. Listen, they wouldn't be telling you they just got saved if they knew they'd been saved. People say that because they want to believe that they're okay too. Because if, you, if you've been you and they've been them and y'all been here and you just got saved and you're telling them that and y'all been like this, and now you're saying you're going here, they want to tell you, oh, no, you're not, you, you, you've been saved. They're trying to bring you back down to here because they don't want to have to do what? They don't want to have to go up to here. Don't talk anybody out of. I don't care how many times they walked in the aisle, prayed a prayer. We had a children's pastor who used to tell me, Pastor, your, your kids walked out and get saved again. Uh, and, and he knows I don't believe you can get saved a thousand times. The Bible says that salvation is eternal. And if you ever get saved, you're going to stay saved. Jesus, when he tells people, depart from me, I never knew you, didn't say, I knew you and I stopped knowing you. You need to get saved again. Salvation is uh, being born again is a one-time experience according to the Scripture. Sanctification happens over and over again. But he'd say, what, what do you want me to do about all these kids that keep walking out? Let them keep walking out. One day it'll stick. Don't ever try to talk somebody out of their salvation we need to have goals uh and and a goal we all should have is that the people we care about be saved jake you had your hand up for a goal see that's a goal he's talked to me about before he said in his mind a certain amount of money that he wants to give me and you know i'm, I'm i've already you know got plans for that money so i'm counting on that coming in hallelujah anybody else got a goal you want to share if you talk about it, you're more likely to see it happen. Y'all don't want to talk about it. I'm going to keep moving. All right. Um, a lot of people in business say this. If you go to enough seminars about leadership, you'll hear people talking about goals, and you'll almost always hear say, someone say, a goal without a deadline is just a dream. A goal without a timetable is just a dream. You could say, I have a goal to do thus and so, but if you don't put a deadline on it, it's just a dream. It's not a real goal. It's just a fanciful thought. It's just something you're considering. You need a specific envisioned plan that you would desire to achieve and commit to. And that needs to have a deadline on it. There's a 
popular goal setting system that business leaders use called SMART, S-M-A-R-T. It's an acronym for specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. Y'all see that? S-M-A-R-T, SMART. Your goals need to be SMART. Your goals need to be specific, not just, I want everybody in the world to get saved. That, that's not specific. I, here's how a good four-year-old prays. God bless mommy, daddy, pastor, and everybody in the world. Uh, here's how a good four-year-old prays. God bless all the hungry children on the whole wide world. Okay, that's great. That's a great prayer for a four-year-old. The problem is it's just not specific. You got to pray specific prayers because we serve a specific God. Jesus prayed specific prayers. The apostles prayed specific prayers. You need to set goals that are specific. You need to write these things down. They need to be detailed. What, what do you have as a goal? What would you like to see? It needs to be something that is very specific. Not only that, but it needs to be measurable. If, you, if your goal was to lose weight, well, you need to be more specific about that. You, you need to know how much weight, what weight you want to weigh. You want to go from where to where, and then you need to measure that, and you need to track that, and you need to constantly be checking it. People who are serious about weight loss weigh themselves at least once a week. You get on these weight loss programs, they make you get on the scale in front of people. Some folks are like, I don't want to get on the scale this week, and I'm just passed. Flunk me for the class. I don't want to get on it this week. If you are really serious about losing weight, you get on the scale every day, and you will measure your gain. If you go to a gym and you get involved in weight training and you get with a physical, a personal trainer, they're going to give you a card and they're going to write down the exercises that they want you to do. And they're going to have you write down the amount of weight that you used and how many times you lifted it and how many sets of that repetitious lifting you did. And they are going to measure your progress. If you're not measuring your progress, then you're not moving forward in a smart fashion. It's gotta, your goals have to be smart, specific, measurable, attainable. Listen, it, it's, it's, not, it's not really attainable uh, if I say, you know, I'd like to get my cardio in better shape. That's good. That, that, that's a good goal because, you know, your heart needs to last as long as you plan on living. And, but to say, I want to, so I got to go out and run. I got to get my heart in better shape, so I got to go out and run. If my goal was to go out and run, and I said, I want to run 7,000 miles a day, well, that's not attainable. You can't run 7,000 miles a day. The human body's not built for that, and it's not enough hours in the day to run for that many miles. And that brings us to the fourth part. It's got to be realistic. See, some things you can attain that don't seem realistic because God's in it, but it has to be realistic with the God factor. It has to be realistic uh, and if you put God in the mix, some things that you think aren't realistic become realistic. But if I say I want to run, that's cool. I want to increase my running speed, that's cool. I, I want to move from an eight-minute mile down to a seven-minute mile, that's, that's, that's attainable. That's realistic. But if I want to move from an eight-minute mile down to a five-minute mile, that's not happening at 53 years old. Not for me. Uh, now, if, if you know somebody that could ever ran a five-minute mile, they were picking them up and putting them down. Um, your goals need to be 
specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and last, they need to be timely for them to be smart. You need to set a time on it. You can't just say, I want to see this happen. By when? I want, to, I want to get better at this. By when? Set a time on it. Put a timetable on it. Make sure that your goals are smart goals, not just fly-by-night flippant daydreams. Because a goal without a deadline is just a daydream. All right, now thinking about this word goals, now I'm going to bring it back and close it out with a spiritual twist on the word goals. And I haven't visited this word in church in a really long time. And so some of y'all have, have never heard the acronym that I pray through for the word goals because I have specific goals in my life. And I pray about my goals, and I pray the word goals out to God. How many, how many letters in the, in the word goals? G-O-A-L-S. How many is that? Five different things uh, as an acronym for the word goals. First is for God to be glorified. You ought to pray in every aspect of your life. Don't read on me. Y'all reading ahead on me. Don't, you, faith comes by what? Hearing. You should pray in every aspect of your life for God to be glorified. In your marriage, in your parenting, on your job, in your community. Your, your reputation should glorify God. Your finances should glorify God. Your words, your thoughts, everything about your life. You need to pray for God to be glorified. Start your prayer with that as you work down the word goal. Second is for when you're thinking about our church, pray for the offering. When you're thinking about your life, pray for your offering. See, every one of us, whether you say it or not, whether you act like it or not, money matters. You can get all churchy and say, well, you know, my, my father owns all the gold. My father owns the cattle on a thousand hills and all the hills. Well, that's cool. Well, where he guides, he provides, and uh, God won't take you anywhere where he, he won't carry you. You can say all the cliches you want to say, but when you put them groceries on that conveyor belt at Publix, Winn-Dixie, Walmart, or wherever you go, they want money. Whether you got JEA or Clay Electric, they want money. Florida Power and Light, it don't matter. They want money. Money answers all things. God said that. So the bottom line is we all need money. Well, whether you have specific goals for your finances or not, you better get some because money matters. Don't have some and then see how you feel. Can't pay your house note and see how you feel. Get evicted and see how you feel. You lose your car and see how you feel. Have your car break down and can't fix it and see how you feel. Have a tooth break in your mouth and can't get it pulled and see how you feel. It takes money to live. So you need to pray for your offering, that you will be faithful in your offering. Whether it's not just your money, but in the old church we used to talk about your time, your talent, and your treasure. You got, you, got to, you, you got to offer God your time. You got to offer God your talent. You got to offer God your treasure. You got to be faithful in your offering. What are you offering to God lately? What are you offering to God with your time? You're here tonight on a Sunday night. That's a great choice. You made a great choice to be here. Everybody didn't make that choice. Some people don't make that choice often. What are you offering to God with your time? Are you meeting with him? On a regular basis for prayer, for Bible study, in your home. What are you offering to God for praise and worship? Do you sing songs of love to God? 
What are you offering to God with your talent? Where do you serve him? How do you fit in? What, where are you the spoke? See, we're all part of one big wheel, but you're a spoke on that wheel. You got a purpose for being on this earth, and you got to be able to figure out where you fit in so you can offer your talents to God because if you're not using your talents for God, you're going to become frustrated. You're going to become tired, and church is going to become boring to you. G-O-A. A stands for attendance. You need to pray for our church attendance, and you need to pray for your attendance in our church. Because I can promise you this. There are going to be times in your life where you do not feel like coming to church. There are going to be times in your life where you're going to get up, and there's going to be 700 excuses why you shouldn't go. But one command from God ought to eradicate every excuse. God said don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. He said, that's the manner of some, but don't let it be your manner. You need to pray not only for our attendance as a church, but for your attendance. Because your attendance, see, there are people in the room, even now, in this room tonight, that are here, but they don't want to be here. They're here, but they're not really here. They're here in body, but they're not totally connected. You need to learn how to be where you are. Do you hear me? Be where you are. Be fully engaged in what you're doing at the moment. If you're cooking, be about it. If you are talking to a friend, be about that. If you're in prayer time, shut everything else out and be in prayer. You need to attend what you're attending. So many times we're just going through the motions. So many times, every one of us, whether you recognize it or not, I think most of us have recognized it and talk about it. Sometimes you're driving that route on the way home. You get to an intersection like, wow, I forgot I even got this far. I don't even remember coming off that, that, that off-ramp because we're just going through it. Listen, it's a good word to warn. When you're driving, be, be driving, okay? Pay attention to what you're doing. You need to pray for your attendance because one of the things I've heard people say, well, you know, I don't have to go to church to love the Lord. Mm. We could talk about that. Jesus went to church, and he's our example, so where are you going to go from there? But I do know people that are saved, that want to be all that God wants them to be. And you could talk about how often someone should come to church. And some churches only have church once a week. We have church three times a week. Some churches have church four times a week. You could talk about how often is the right amount of time I don't have a good answer for you, but I can tell you this. Every person that I've ever seen that was walking with God that fell off, it affected their attendance in church. You might not have to go to church every time the doors are open to feel close to God, but I promise you this. When you start noticing yourself come less to church, then something's going wrong. Kick that air back on. I don't know why we can't achieve a happy medium in here now. It's getting back like it was this morning. G-O-A-L, pray for the lost to be saved. You need to pray for the lost to be saved. You need to pray for lost people in your home to be saved. You need to pray for lost people in your family to be saved. You need to be praying for every lost person you know. You, and listen, just go ahead and assume everybody's lost. That'll save you a lot of trouble. Stop thinking everybody's saved. How are we going to think everybody's saved when the Bible says that, that the road to heaven is narrow and few there be that find it, but the road to hell is broad and many there be that go in thereat. 
Okay, there, 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 there's, a, there's, a, there's a tiny little stairway to heaven. There's a big old wide road, a highway to hell, stairway to heaven. Figure that out. Which one got more traffic on it? Okay, just go ahead and assume that the majority of people are lost. If you just look at the parable of the sower, the seed, and the soil, four different types of soil, only one of them produced fruit. The rest of them were thrown away and good for nothing. Now, most theologians believe that's talking about people sitting in churches. Not talking about people outside the church because the word is constantly being sown on uh, people who are sitting in church. So what that's teaching is three out of four people in church are going to die and go to hell. Three out of four people. And I don't know how many people are on your row, but I hope you, you, you ain't got four people on your own row. There ain't no row safe. Sound booth's closed. But I'm eight. I'm one out of the first four. You don't join my row. I'm saved for sure. If I ain't nothing, I'm saved. I know that. Um, but you need to pray for the lost to be saved. Stop thinking everybody's saved. Stop thinking people that ain't walking with God are saved. If they were, if they were all that saved, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have to be wondering why they're all jammed up. More people going to hell than going to heaven. I don't enjoy, rejoice in that. It's just the truth. We make excuses for people because we love them, and we want to believe the best about them. Listen, you can believe the best about somebody and believe that they're not saved yet, but believe with everything that you have that God is going to save them. You need to be praying for the lost to be saved. And the S in the word goals is for our staff to be protected and to grow spiritually. If you don't want to pray for our church, see, I use this in a pattern of praying for our church. And I use this in a pattern for praying for myself. I pray for God to be glorified in our church. I pray for the offering to, to be what it needs to be in our church so we can do all that we want to do. It takes a lot of money to run a church. It takes a lot of money to sow into world missions. It takes a lot of money to be able to do ministry in this millennium. I pray for my offering. See, my tithe, I don't have to pray about the tithe. The tithe is the tithe. The, the, tithe, the word tithe means tenth. And God said, take one-tenth of all your increase and bring it to the Lord on the first day of the week. So I don't have to pray about that. That's like, you know, people are like, well, I need to pray about you know, what I'm giving this week. Well, you can pray about what you're offering this week, but you can't pray about the tithe. That's like praying about robbing a bank. I don't have to pray if God wants me to rob a bank. He already said, thou shalt not steal. So I know I, there's just certain things. Sometimes people confuse the issue by saying, well, I need to pray about that. You don't need to pray about whether or not you need to live holy. God already said, be holy for I am holy. There are certain things that prayer is not necessary for. Prayer is not necessary for the tithe. The tithe is holy unto the Lord, and he's commanded us to pay it. But your offering is what you give above the tithe. And you need to pray about your offering because the more you give, the more you get. And the, the, listen, if you've never felt the joy of giving, then you, you, you probably aren't never going to connect with giving. People who give realize there's a joy, there's a blessing in giving. Even when it doesn't come back immediately, there's still a blessing in giving. We got to believe that it is more blessed to give than to receive. So I pray for our church offering. I pray for my own offering. I pray for the attendance in our church. People say, well, Pastor, you say it's not about numbers. God can save by few or by many. And it's not about numbers. It's, it's, we, we don't, people say, well, why do you count people? We count people because people count. And we want to be able to measure what we're doing. 
and we want to be able to see if we're making our goals because we know that people are lost, dying, and on their way to hell. And we want to make sure that somebody's hearing about the gospel. We want to make sure somebody is coming to church and growing in their faith. And that's why corporate attendance is important. Personal attendance is important no matter how many other people are here. So you pray for people to come. Pray that the house will be full. Jesus said, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my father's house may be full. It's the Lord's desire. It's Jesus Christ's desire for the house to be full. He made that plain in his earthly ministry. So we got to pray what God wants for us. We got to pray that the, the church will be full. Now, you can pray it'd be full on Sunday night. That probably ain't going to happen. But you might walk in a greater level of faith than I do. You start seeing that happen, that'll be great. But you need to pray for our attendance, especially on Sunday morning. Because that's when most lost people come and have an opportunity to hear something that they haven't been listening to all week long. I pray for lost people in my family to be saved. Lost people that I know, that I grew up with, to be saved. But also pray for the lost to be saved in our church. You need to be praying that on Saturday. See, we've seen people pray to receive Christ. Haven't we, Ken? On Saturday in food and clothing. We've seen people pray to be born again in food and clothing ministry. You need to be praying that when people come to our food and clothing ministry on Saturday, they'll be saved. We've seen people saved in children's church. We've seen people saved in youth group. You need to be praying that when people come to this church, this church sees people get saved. I heard it said that if uh, you are meeting together calling yourself a church but nobody's ever getting saved and it's not a real church because Jesus said that he would build his church. The building of the church comes through conversion. The problem is in America how churches are getting built is through sheep shifting. And sheep usually shift because they're disgruntled. Sheep usually leave one shed to go to the other shed because somebody didn't do something they liked in the last shed. And it's hard to start wrong and finish right. And that's why mad people come mad from their last church, leave mad at this church, and go to mad to the next church. And guess what they're going to do to that? All right. But we need to pray for lost souls to be saved. Jesus had a mission statement in Luke 19 and 10. He said, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. Jesus is about souls. Jesus is about saving lost souls. And you need to be praying that our church would see the lost saved. I pray for me personally, and I pray for our staff specifically in this last one. I pray that God would let me grow per- spiritually. Pray for spiritual growth. Let that be your S, spiritual growth. You need to have spiritual growth. But as you pray for your personal spiritual growth, pray for our staff. Pray for our elders and our deacons and our leaders to grow spiritually, for God to protect us and to grow us spiritually. You want to know what the enemy's greatest desire in this church is? I don't know what everything the enemy's trying to accomplish. I know he wants to steal, kill, and destroy, but you know who's first on the list? Me. If you cut off the head, everything else will die. If you mess with the one on top, everything else will fall apart. Now, thankfully, I know that I'm replaceable, and I'm okay with that. I know that God could move me out just like he moved me in, and God would put somebody else in place. But I know that if something horrible was to happen to me, I've heard people come to this church, 
former pastor did something, blew up the whole reputation in the community. We've seen pastors on TV do stuff that blew up their reputation and their ministry. When that happens, damage happens. And we don't want that. We don't want that. So you need to pray for God to protect our staff and for God to, to grow our staff spiritually. We need to be growing in the spirit. We need to be growing in love. We need to be growing in unity. So the only way to experience God's peace and have God protect your heart and your mind is for you to pray more. When you pray, I want you to think about this word goals. Pray for God to be glorified. Pray for your offering to be acceptable to God. Pray for your attendance that you would always be faithful. What did the psalmist say? He, what, did, what did he want? The one thing that his heart desired is that he would dwell in the house of the Lord forever and inquire in the Lord's temple. He wanted to go one more time to church to meet with God. That was the psalmist's desire. I just want to be in church one more again. I want to come to church one more time to inquire about the Lord and to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ. It ought to be important to you to attend church. When you pray down the word goals, pray for lost people to be saved. Pray, pray for spiritual growth. Pray for our staff to be protected. I hope that you will set some goals now. Don't wait until New Year's resolution. That's, that's just that's the, what the world does. Set goals now. Set goals spiritually. Set goals physically. Set goals emotionally, relationally. Set goals financially. You need to have a financial goal. The Bible says a righteous person leaves an inheritance to their children's children. Here, here's, here's the thing. If you look at rich people, rich people, wealthy people, give money to their kids as seed to get jump-started in life. Poor people give no money to their kids. Listen, when Dean and I were growing up, we lived in a house that was nice. We lived in a home that was nice. Uh, my mother always drove nice cars. We always had big furniture, and it was always charged, and everything was always lived up on debt and on credit. And our parents made too much money for us to get any help going to college, but they were broke. Couldn't send us to college. So we had to figure it out on our own. They didn't have it to give it. They had it, but didn't do the right things with it, so they couldn't give it. You need to have some financial goals that you will be able to pass something on to your children and your children's children. Who's going to help them get a jump start in life? Because if you start behind the eight ball, it's hard to ever get in front of it. But if you, if you have something, you need to start preparing your financial goals right now. And they need to begin with the tithe. If, if you're not tithe, the Bible promises that you can try to stack money up but if you steal the tithe from God, he'll blow on it. Go ahead and try to rake some leaves together in a pile and stack those leaves up and let a good wind come along and blow on it. You're still raking. This is why so many people can never accomplish anything financially is because they won't be consistent with their giving. You need to have some, some spiritual goals. You need to have some relationship goals, but you need, you need them to be smart. You need them to be specific, measurable, attainable. Realistic and timely. Set some smart goals this week. Think about what God would have you to do. Start praying down this acronym, G-O-A-L-S, goals. Pray, for, pray goals for our church. Pray that God will be glorified at Abundant Life. 
Pray, pray, pray that, that God would bless our offering so much that we don't ever even have to talk about it anymore. Pray, pray that God would, would bless our attendance to overflow. Pray, pray that God would let lost people be saved. Pray that God would grow us spiritually. And I promise you, as you begin to pray more, you're going to experience more of God's peace. The heartbreak for me is I know most people that come to church don't really experience God. They don't feel the touch of God. They don't feel the breath of God on their neck. They don't, they don't know what it's like to crawl up in God's lap and let him hold them. And they want what they've heard about. They want this spirituality that they've heard talked about, but they haven't really experienced it. Or even worse, they have experienced it. But they're not experiencing it anymore. We've got to grow spiritually. We've got to get serious about setting some goals to grow spiritually. Because you ought to want to make your Heavenly Father proud of you. Don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. The Bible says that the devil's whole purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. There have been times in my life I wanted to give up, but I, I've told my children, and, and everybody in my family knows, we're we just, we just too, too stubborn on my side of the family to give up. We're just, we just too strong-willed to give up. Well, well why, 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 why won't, listen, you never have to worry about me giving up because I ain't going to give you the haters the gratitude. You never have to worry about, if they say Scott Becker committed suicide, you know that's a lie. I ain't, I ain't saying some of y'all ain't pushed me to think about it. But, and the devil ain't tried me to think about it. But I'm just not going to give the haters the gratitude. I'm not just going to lay down and let them say, hi, I knew it. Now, you ain't going to knew it on me because I'm going to be here when, when, they, when they're out. And I'm going to say on them, I knew it. Listen, don't give up. Keep pushing. Keep pushing. Keep praying until something happens. Keep going for everything that God has for you. Too many people give up. We live in a world full of quitters. Winners don't quit. Quitters don't win. And the Bible says we are not the type that draws back. People that God has called to true salvation are not the type that draw back. We're the type that rush in. When others are drawing back, we're rushing in. When others are giving up, we're grabbing hold. And I want you to grab a hold of God. Paul said the biggest thing he wanted was to lay hold on the one who'd laid hold on him. He knew that the covenant was bound by the greater part. See, we think we're holding on to God, but in reality, God's holding on to us. It's like when Seth was little, I'd hold his hand by grabbing his wrist. He thought he was holding my hand. He had a little bit, but I was doing the holding. That way when his legs went out from under him, he didn't fall because I just had him locked in. The reason we don't fall is because God is holding us. But Paul said, I want to lay hold on the one who's laid hold on me. I want to grab the one who grabbed me. See, if you're saved at all, it's because God reached down and plucked you out. If you're saved, it's because God grabbed hold of you and pulled you up and set you on a solid rock. And you ought to want to lay hold on that God. You ought to want to put your arms around that God and love that God that put his arms around you and showed you love. 
It's not going to happen by osmosis. It's not going to happen without a lot of effort. It's not going to happen without prayer. I want you to experience God's peace, not just know about it. The Bible says you can experience God's peace. This is tangible. This is touchable. This is real. But it comes through prayer. Well, Pastor, praying is hard. Well, it's supposed to be. Well, I don't always feel this charge, this emotional uplift that I feel like I should have. Well, it ain't always going to be that way. Sometimes it's going to be difficult to pray. Sometimes everything is going to fight your prayer life. Sometimes it's going to make more obstacles in your life when you commit to prayer. Because the devil knows how effective prayer is. And the devil doesn't want you to pray. He doesn't want you to come to church, but he'd rather you come to church than pray. He doesn't want you to sing songs to God, but he'd rather you sing songs than pray. Because the Bible doesn't say that God will give you uh, his supernatural peace for doing a lot of things, but it says that when you pray, this peace will come to you. When you start praying about everything, God's peace is going to come into your life in an experiential way. Here's the, I'm done with this. Experience cannot be denied. See, this is how I could never deny my salvation, because I experienced salvation. It's something real that happened to me. When I, when I got saved, I was there. So I know I got saved because I was there when it happened. You might not be able to remember. I remember it was July 15, 1981. It was about 3.30 in the morning. I, I, I was on a, in a, on a dirt road in my mama's house where I got down between my bed and the wall and prayed and asked God to save me. I remember exactly what I prayed 35 years ago. You might not remember what day of the week it was, what day on the calendar it was. But if you were there and it happened and you experienced it, you remember something about it. It's just like if you got saved today, you might not remember if it was a Sunday night or a Wednesday night. But if you got saved in this church, you'd remember something about it. I guarantee if I walked up to you right now and I poured this water out on your head, you'd remember that. 35 years from now, you might not remember my name. You might not even remember what city you were living in. You might not remember the name of the church, but you know you know some, some crazy preacher walked up and dumped water on your head. Why, why, why would you know that? Because you experienced it. It became real to you because it happened to you. You need a real salvation that has happened to you. And you need real peace from God where you can say, I know he's with me. I know he's with me. I can feel him. I know he's with me. Always. When you stop feeling God with you, you're on a dangerous road, Christian. When you stop feeling the peace of God, the love of God, the draw of God, the pull of God, when you grow cold on the things of God, you're in a dangerous place. Because the devil's already made his, his plan sure. He's already, he's already showed his hand. He's already told us. He, uh, God already called him out and said his plan is to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal every good thing in your life. He wants to kill all your hopes and your dreams. He wants to destroy your reputation and everything that you hold valuable. And when you start growing cold on God and the things of God, you're playing right into his hand. So we got to focus and refocus. we got to commit and recommit. 
Put that word, put that definition for goal back on the screen, and we'll be done. A goal is a desired result that a person or a system envisions, plans, and commits to. Commits to achieve. We got to commit to achieve some things. I don't want to wait to 2017 to commit to achieve some things. I want you to figure out what you're willing to commit to achieve. You got to see it. You got to envision it. You got to plan for it. You got to do the work. Don't aim at nothing. Aim at being the man God wants you to be. Aim at being the woman God wants you to be. Aim at living the life God created you to live because anything else is substandard. And anything else does not bring glory to God. If you know that you're not where you need to be spiritually, get there. If you know that you're not as on fire for God as you used to be, get there. Do whatever you have to do to be all that God wants you to be because nothing else in life matters. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for this promise of your peace, protection over our hearts and our minds through our willingness to obey you in this area of prayer. God, I pray that you'd increase our prayer life as a church. I pray that you'd increase our prayer life as individuals. God, teach us to rely on you. Teach us to talk to you about everything. We love you. We thank you for loving us. And we ask you, God, to help us pray more. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast and visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church, loving God, loving people.